It was fun. We had fun. Just a lot of togetherness. Uh, we had 20, 21 folks in one house, so it was a lot of togetherness. Um, sort of leads me into what I wanted to talk to you all about today. Uh, I grew up in Whitehaven, and um, we had sort of a Mayberry-type community uh, I never remember knocking on a door uh, in the in the community that we lived in. You just every, everybody's house. Your house was everybody's house, and there were just kids everywhere, running everywhere, doing everything. We always we did everything together. It was just a it was a it was a neat time. Uh, and I loved my community, I loved my family, I loved my friends' families, and I spent as much time in their homes as I did in mine, and vice versa. But I remember very distinctly when uh, my wife and her family moved into our community, and I and them, and spending some time in their house. And uh, I don't, I can't explain this very well, but you'll, hopefully you'll get what I'm saying. I spent time in hundreds and hundreds of different homes growing up. And they were all great, to varying degrees. Nice homes, but by, by, by Whitehaven standards in that day, very nice homes with the best that you could offer and provide. But when I started spending time in my wife's family's home, I can remember distinctly the difference uh, that her home had felt whatever the, whatever the right word is, there was something very different and unique about her family dynamic and the home that they created there than all the other homes that I ever visited or lived in myself. There was just something. It wasn't that their furniture was nicer or... It was decorated better, or it wasn't. It wasn't the, the stuff you could touch or see. But there was something different, um, and I, I remember that in the sixth and seventh and eighth grade. I can remember that, and it wasn't until years later that it. I, it dawned on me what it was, and that's what I want to talk to y'all about today for a few minutes. I spent all week down in Florida on the beach uh, studying this, and uh, I don't need that much time because I, I could have I created a, a doctoral thesis, I'm sure. Uh, so don't get nervous; we won't do all of it. But I, I do want to I want to talk to you today about the peace of God, uh, because that's what her family had in their home. It wasn't that it wasn't lively or active or busy. It, it was just as busy and active and lively as, as anybody's home. But there was a peace in the air, in the dynamics that really stood out to me. And I was just reading my devotions, uh, and I came across this verse that sort of, sort of precipitated this whole deal. It's in Proverbs chapter 17, and Solomon says this. He says, better is a crust of bread and peace than a home filled with feasting and conflict. Let me read that again. Wisest man that ever lived made this observation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Better is a crust of bread, which represents poverty. Poor people eat crust of bread, right? 
Okay? Not even the, the, the good part, not even the, the soft part in the middle. They don't even get that. They just, they're so poor, they just have the crust. Okay? Better is poverty and peace than a home filled with luxury and conflict. Let me read one more time the way Solomon wrote it. Better is a crust of bread and peace than a home filled with feasting and conflict. We know that instinctively, right? We know experientially we have all been in very nice surroundings with other people who are at con- in conflict. You know, you're eating dinner with a couple and they come to the, to the restaurant mad. You know, you know that you understand that. And so then the whole night you're going, well, crud. You know, th- this ain't going to be fun. Well, where did you eat? It doesn't matter. It won't be fun. What did you order? Doesn't matter. It won't be fun. How was, the, how was the service or the music or the environment or the, the waiters? It doesn't matter. It won't be fun because the, the people that you're with are in conflict. And Solomon makes the observation that he'd rather be poor and living on bread and water but in an environment where there's peace than live in a mansion full of luxury, but where it's an environment of conflict. Man, I've thought about that all week long. And what kept running through my mind is, I know most of y'all, there's a few folks in here that I don't know yet, uh, and there's a few folks that I haven't known in a long time. I uh, used to know you well, and uh, so happy to see you again. Um, but I know most of y'all, and we live in, you know, we live in nice homes. Some nicer than others, but we, you know, we, for the most part, most of us live in nice homes. And my question that I kept asking myself all week was, I wonder how much time you and I have spent making our homes lovely. How much time, energy, money, effort, research have we spent, have we invested on technology, safety, Beauty, efficiency. How much time have we invested making our homes visually wonderful? How much money? How much energy? How much research? How many magazines have you flipped through? How many websites have you gone to how many stores hundreds and thousands of hours researching investigating studying how to make your home and how to make my home uh, pleasant enjoyable little kid man you're going around safe you know, oh my gosh, you know, when you have a little kid, man, you're going around putting uh, stuff, you know, on, on everything in the world to make it safe. How, how much time have we invested versus how much time do you wonder have we invested on making it a place that has minimal conflict. 
about equal? How much time have you spent working on practicing saying I was wrong, will you forgive me? Or practicing, yes, you were wrong, but I forgive you. How much time have we spent practicing being a servant to each other? Putting the desires, the hopes, the dreams, the needs, the wishes of the other people before ourselves. How much time have we spent creating an atmosphere where we are incredibly cognizant of modes of communication that communicate respect, empathy, sympathy, kindness, and and of intentionally avoided communication that would communicate the opposite. How much time have we spent developing an atmosphere where we feel safe to tell each other the truth? How much time have we spent diligently working on creating a home where we really have gotten effective in listening to each other? I don't agree with my, I think my daughter would tell you, I think my daughter, I hope, Lord, I hope, because I've tried, I've worked. <laughs> I grew up in a home where you didn't listen to each other. You just took breath, you know, you, you, you waited for somebody to take a breath because <laughs> that's when you could bust in, you know, but you didn't really care what anybody was saying. You just cared about what you were saying, right? Um, and so I have worked so hard at learning to listen when my wife and my daughter speak. And I think they would say, we don't necessarily agree with (laughs) my husband or my dad on a lot of things, but he has learned, he's practiced listening. All of those things decrease conflict. Right? It increases peace. And so, I just was thinking about that. Better to live in poverty on bread and water with peace than to live in a mansion feasting on the finest foods. But there's an atmosphere of conflict that just dwells there. Um, the word peace. If you, if you look up the word, if y'all Google the word peace, the word that'll pop up uh, quickly is the word shalom. That's the Hebrew word for peace. Shalom. Uh, shalom doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. Shalom is a, is a word that means it's a, it's a state of being. It's a place where all is as it should be. It's a place where people feel safe. Shalom, uh, a uh, synonym for shalom would be a place of refuge, safety, healing, Protection, love, harmony, wholeness, provision, completeness, tranquility. Are our homes places where the inhabitants and guests would feel shalom? I feel safe here. I feel as if in this place all is as it should be. And I was just thinking about the Bible as a whole. You know, the Bible begins in a place of shalom, the Garden of Eden, right? It was, it, that was as, it was a place where everything was as it was supposed to be. It was a place of shalom. 
the Bible ends in another place of shalom, uh, heaven. Whether, the, whether heaven is going to be up somewhere or heaven's going to come down and, and this will become heaven, you and my favorite theologians can all fight about that. I, I, I don't care. I'm just happy as heck that I'm going to be there. Uh, whether it's up or here, I don't care uh, about that. But, but uh, it begins with shalom, it ends with shalom, and then really the story of the Bible, if you wanted to, and I did, <laughs> look through all the stories of the Bible, you, the Bible is nothing more than a storybook filled with glimpses of shalom, of peace. Let me give you some examples. You know them. Uh, Garden of Eden is a place where there was shalom. Uh, the ark, when there was turmoil everywhere, the people on the ark had shalom. They experienced shalom. Uh, Abraham, I found it very significant that the Abrahamic covenant in the eyes of Isaiah, Isaiah called the covenant that God made with, uh, with uh, Abraham, he called it a covenant of peace. Let me read it to you from Isaiah 54. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you, and he's talking to Abraham, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. God's talking about the covenant that he made with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And God, when he thought about that relationship that he had with Abraham and Abraham's descendants, including me and you, he calls it a covenant of peace. Shalom, a covenant of shalom. Moses he was given the task of giving the people of God little taste of show and experience. Um, the tabernacle was a place that you could go and experience peace. Abraham, uh, Moses built that. Uh, going into the promised land, that was a type of shalom, a place of peace. You no longer have to wander and fight and you know, it was a plate. The promised land was a, was a, a type of shalom. The re cities of refuge that Moses created, six cities of refuge. When you were being chased and attacked, you could run into these specific cities and be safe. You could experience peace. David, David, probably more than anyone in the Bible, valued peace. He'd been chased all of his adult life. He'd fought all of his adult life. He, his, his family was a nightmare. His friends were thugs who loved him one minute and would slit his throat the next. His enemies were worse than any enemies could ever have been described in an Avenger movie. Uh, uh, which I've never seen one, but my daughter and my son-in-law say they're, they're great. Uh, anyway, uh, and so when David writes, he writes about, oh, oh I'd love to, to be somewhere where there's peace. I get up in the morning fighting. I get up in the morning and people are arguing and in conflict and turmoil and Ah, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to, to, to experience peace, shalom, God. Ah, oh, I value that. I long for that. I desire that. I think that's why, David. Where do you Where do you want to live, David? I tell you where I want to live. I want to live in Jerusalem. I want to live in the city of peace. He picks the city out of all the cities in Israel. Where do you want to live, David? I want to live in city, I mean, peace land. That's where I want to live. I want to live in the city of peace. That was his, his cat. He made Jerusalem his home and his capital. And he said, God, I want to build a temple, a permanent place where I can go and where your people can go and just be at peace, experience your peace, your shalom. And for 
various reasons, God said, David, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you build the temple. But I'll let your son, I'll let your son build that temple. And he did. Solomon built the temple. Actually, Solomon's name, David named Solomon, Solomon, which is just a derivative of shalom, peace. Solomon's very name means peace. The Babylonians, they came. That, that Solomon's temple lasted for about 400 years, give or take 50. Uh, the Israelites didn't value God's city of peace and temple of peace. And they focused on idols and rebellion instead. And so the Babylonians came in 400 years after Solomon built the temple, tore it to the ground, leveled it to the ground, and the people of God had to go into captivity Seventy years later, God raised up Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, sent them back home to Israel from Babylon, and they led the people of God to build a new city of peace, new city Jerusalem, and a new temple, uh, the Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah temple. And uh, that temple lasted for about 500 years. That's the temple that Jesus grew up going to. That's the temple that Jesus with his mom and dad went. Mary and Joseph took Jesus and was dedicated at that temple. And uh, uh, Jesus, that's the temple that Jesus uh, uh, went into and got so upset when he looked around in the temple. And the temple wasn't a place of shalom. It wasn't a place of rest. It wasn't a place where people could go and just sit in peace. It was a place of business and bargaining and dickering and conflict and uh, commerce and busyness. And it upset Jesus. Jesus, You could see, y'all don't even understand what the temple's for. It's supposed to be a place of shalom. People need a place where they can go and they can just experience the peace of my dad. And y'all are messing it up. Haggai, one of the last prophets in the Old Testament, said this. He said, the future glory of God's temple will be great. And in this place, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and in this place, this temple, I will bring peace. Thus saith the Lord of heaven's armies. That's Haggai chapter 2. What Haggai was prophesying is that there'd be a day when the place of peace that God creates through the sacrifice of Jesus will be superior literally to the glory of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was one of the most beautiful buildings ever created by man. And Haggai said, or God through Haggai says, I'm going to do something that's going to make the glory of Solomon's temple pale. Pale. And you know what that was? God, through the death of his son, made me and Rachel and Gray and Kim and Peggy and Larry We're the temple. We're the place of peace. God said, I want people everywhere to have an opportunity to experience my peace. And I want people everywhere to have an opportunity to go and be around peace. That's why I love going to my wife's house. Even when I was a teenager. We we, We weren't even dating at the time. But I loved to go to her house. There was something that was so, uh, uh, not a drug, but it was was like that. It, It just was compelling. I wanted to be in a home, in a place filled with peace. And God knew that. God created that in all of our lives. We want to be, we don't want to be around conflict. It drains us. It, 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 
it decays us. It, 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 it kills us in a sense. It, it just, it, it, you know what I'm saying? We, and when we're around peace, it invigorates, it renews, it restores. And Paul said that we are the fulfillment of what Haggai was talking about. Paul says that we're now the temple of God. We're the place of peace. We're the place where people can come and experience God's peace. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, Don't you know that you together are the temple of God and that God's Spirit lives in you? And then three chapters later, he says it again. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Bible ends, as I said earlier, in Revelation 21, talking about this new Jerusalem, this new city, this new temple, this new place that will be a permanent and eternal place of peace. What does the Bible say about God's peace? Let me give you six quick things and then I'll make my point. Number one, the Bible says that Jesus, he came to the earth for many reasons. I yield. Okay, we could spend a lifetime talking about all the reasons that Jesus came to the, to the earth. But don't miss that there is no reason that Jesus came to this earth more significant than his desire to bring peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Isaiah says, for a child, he's talking in the future, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will not ever end. Jesus came to bring peace. I found, I read it just yesterday in Acts chapter 10 in my devotions. If you're following, reading through the Bible with me, then you read it too. Remember, God tells Peter to go and take the gospel to Gentiles, to non-Jews. And uh, he has a dream and, and long story, but at the end of the dream, God says, Hey, there's, I want you to go and share the good news, the gospel with some Gentile people, non-Jews. You'll be the first First, Peter, you're the, you're the front door to the, telling the, the world about the gospel. It's just been for the Jews. Now it's for everybody. You go to Cornelius' house and tell him the gospel. And you know, Peter walks in to Cornelius' house. And the first thing he says, he says, The Lord Jesus came to bring peace to you. First thing I like, I just what about the how are we gonna take the Lord's Supper and baptism and the doctrine of election and uh, the end times and uh, should women wear hats and uh, you know and all the, a million things that, that we talk about in Christianity should we drink or not drink and dance and not dance and and all these things I find it shocking. First thing Peter tells Cornelius in Acts 10 is, Jesus Christ came so that you could have peace with God. Jesus came to this earth to bring peace. The Bible says that where Jesus is Lord, there is peace. In the garden, Garden of Eden, Jesus Christ was Lord. And shockingly, in the garden, there was peace. Right? Anywhere where Jesus is, there's peace. In the ark, there was peace. That's where God was. Uh, in that boat in the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was asleep, storms everywhere, but it was so peaceful in the life of Jesus that even in the midst of a storm that made fishermen live in terror, Jesus was at such peace, he fell asleep. Where Jesus is Lord, there is peace. Where Jesus isn't Lord, there isn't any peace. Remember what happened in the garden? 
Adam and Eve got along. Sin entered the garden. First thing, Adam and Eve start fighting. Your fault, your fault, oh, your fault, nah, your fault. They start arguing, blaming each other. Right out of the gate. Where Jesus is Lord, there is peace. Where Jesus isn't Lord, there isn't peace. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip some of this. I find it very, very significant that the Bible tells us that the world is longing for peace. The peace that you and I at least potentially have within us. I love this verse in Zechariah chapter 9. The prophet says, or God says through the prophet Zechariah, he says, I'll destroy the chariots and the war horses and the weapons of war. And I, your king, will bring peace. And in those days, says the Lord of hosts, people from all over the world will grab the arm of one of God's children and say, please let us travel with you. For we have heard that God is with you. you, you do you see that? Do you see that literally as the world becomes increasingly filled with conflict and turmoil and animosity and ill will and prejudice and hatred and, and, and all the stuff that the world is increasingly being filled with, there'll be a day when the people of this world, they're looking, ah, oh, where can I find peace? Hey, I've been watching your life at work. Hey, I've been watching your life. You come into the grocery store every week. I've been watching your life. Hey, I see you in the playground with your grandchildren. There's something, there's something about your life. There, there's, there's a peace. I know things aren't perfect. You lost your job. You're sick. Your family's got difficulty. But there's still, in fact, that even makes it more crazy why, why, I don't know what's going on, but I want to go with you. Where, where are you going? Because I want what you have. I want that peace. I think that's why it's so significant that Jesus says twice, one in John 14 and one in John 16, that the see, we think if that inner peace comes from creating outer peace. Woo, my life's full of turmoil. Woo, my life's full of conflict. Woo, my life's full of exhaustion. I know I need to go on a trip to the beach. Because on the beach, I'll find peace, right? And I, I was at the beach, so I'm, I'm good. I'm yay for beach. I'm not anti-beach, okay? But we think if my life lacks peace, if I'll go to somewhere that's peaceful, that will give me peace. Jesus says exactly the opposite. Jesus says that the peace that he gives has nothing to do with your circumstances. John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give out of you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. And then in John 16, he, say, he continues, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I'd love to spend a day talking to you about what the Bible says about God's peace. It's so rich. It's so wonderful. 
But I'll leave you with this. I love to watch PD Live and Cops and any show with, where there's policemen arresting folks. I, I, love, I love that. Uh, where there's shootouts and, you know, and rep fights. And I love to watch it. And if you watch any of those shows, they say it time and time and time again. When they get themselves, them being police, and the same is true for pilots, firemen, uh, 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 ambulance people, medics, uh, military people, uh, uh, anybody that gets themselves in tumultuous difficulty. Okay? They always say the same thing. If you watch PD Live, they'll say it, they say it several times every night. When I get into these difficult situations, I let my training take over. How'd you get through that? Man, bullets are flying. Somebody jumps on top of you and starts hitting you. Uh, how, how did you deal with that? They always said, I let my training take over. There are things that you and I, the Bible tells us there are things that you and I can do that train us, prepare us to walk in peace when there is no peace. When our circumstances, our situations, our our relationships are crumbling into chaos. There are things that we can do. Training that we can default to, to fall back on, so that we become that temple of peace. When there is no peace. Let me just give them to you real quick. Let me read them to you. I won't. Elaborate, I'll just read them to you. Number one, people walk in peace when they have become convinced that they are favored by God. Do you, do you, I'm not asking you if you're a Christian. I'm not asking you if you believe in Jesus. I'm asking you if when you open your eyes in the morning, and raise up out of bed. Does the thought run through your mind. That when God looks at you. He smiles. In your mind. When you think of God thinking of you. Does the thought run through your mind. God is smiling at me. People that live life in the mindset that I am favored of God. David said it this way in Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy, and the word goodness is favor. Surely God's favor will pursue me Every day of my life. Well, David, what about the days when you do bad? It's still pursuing me. God's favor is still pursuing me. What about the days that you didn't, you didn't write as big a check at the church or help an old lady across the street or buy the Boy Scout cookies or, or well, the girls, whatever they are, the, the Scout cookies. Oh, well, now you can't say whether they're girls or boys anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Just, just cookies. <laughs> um, Gosh, we live in a crazy world. But uh, that makes it less peaceful. Uh, but anyway, um, do we operate in a place where I actually believe that I am favored by God? First thing, the announcement of Jesus' is coming to the earth in Luke 2 by the angels. God told the angels, go down to the earth. My son's about to be born. I want everybody to know about it. Well, I'm sure Gabriel said, well, Lord, 
what should we tell them? How should we announce the birth of your son? And here's what they said. A heavenly host appeared and said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom God is well pleased. Do we, do we operate in a mindset that God is well pleased with us? People walk in peace more effectively when they live life with this understanding that I am favored by God. People walk in peace more effectively when they walk with the realization that God has an abundance of peace and he delights in sharing it. See, we live in a, in a, in a system where everything is limited. Every resource, everything of value is limited. There's only so much gold and oil and water and uh, air. Everything. Can you imagine living in an economy where there is no limits? God says that his peace, and I'm not, for the sake of time, go, uh, well, let me just say it this way. Uh, in Numbers chapter 6, God told Aaron, I want you to pronounce a blessing on the people of God every day. What should I say, God? What kind of blessing would you like for me to, to pronounce on him? God said, Aaron, every day is my priest. I want you to say this. He said, he said uh, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and fill you with his peace. Every day, I've got a fresh universe of peace. And I have nothing to do with it. Except I, I just want to pour it out on my people. Every day, do we operate in a place where we understand that God has a, a Pacific Ocean of peace and all he wants to do is pour it out on us. Do we operate in a place where we realize that the Holy Spirit that lives inside you and lives inside me, he's the one that produces peace. I don't produce peace. It's not a change of mind. The Holy Spirit's his job is to produce, that's what Galatians chapter 5 says, it's his job to produce peace. All he wants me to do is get out of the way. Just don't stop me. Just don't hinder me. It's like Bobby Flay saying, Chuck, I want to make you a dinner. Oh my gosh, Bobby Flay is going to make me dinner. And Bobby Flay's making dinner as fast as he can. And you're over there throwing bad stuff in the pot. And Bobby Flay, I'm sure, would turn and go, dude, I want to make this great dinner for you because I love you. You don't have to help, but please don't mess up what I'm doing. Just, just don't mess it up. And that's what the Holy Spirit's saying. I'll produce the peace in your life. Please don't hinder me. Please don't mess it up. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Every day I ought to give God, give God the things in my life that are... I say, God, Kim Bowden belongs... Every day I give Kim Bowden to God. Every day. I say, God, Kim Bowden belongs to you. Every day. We're supposed to give God our peace stealers. Do we do that? Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Don't be anxious about anything, but in all situations, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, give your request to God. And God's peace, which is beyond understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. People that walk in peace have learned, rather than dwelling on problems, they give them to God. People that walk in peace, they've learned to begin the journey of reprogramming their mind so that they see the world like God sees it rather than seeing the world the way Fox News and CNN see it. 
That's why God says in uh, Psalm 119, those that love thy law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. In Isaiah 26, God says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you. Do I reprogram my mind so that I am seeing things like God sees them rather than seeing them the way the world sees them? And I could go on and on and on. The Bible says, uh, anyway, just for, I know we're out of time. The last one I would just say to you is this. In Matthew chapter 5, the Lord Jesus says this. Blessed are those who work for peace. Blessed are those who work at creating peace. Let me go back to my analogy at the beginning in Proverbs 17. How much time do you spend working on your house? Cleaning your house? Decorating your house? Making sure your house is safe? and efficient, and technologically on the cutting edge. We work at making our houses wonderful. Do we work at making our homes peaceful? It says, better is a dry piece of bread, better is a dry crust of bread with peace, than a house full of feasting with conflict. How long does it take you to to create a party? Ever thrown a big party? A lot of work, a lot of shopping, a lot of planning, a lot of cooking, a lot of cleaning, a lot of decorating, a lot of invitation sending, a lot of communication, a lot of organization to create a big party. Do I spend a fraction of that time? Focused on avoiding conflict, healing conflict, protecting good relationships, addressing bad relationships. The people that live in your home, I'm telling you, they long, they long for your home to be I want my home to be a place of peace. I I want it so badly. Um, My wife wants it. My daughter wants it. My grandson wants it. And God will help us with that if we want Him to. He wants it for us more than we want it. Okay. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, Doug, Terry, when you go out of town for a few weeks, then you have to do penance. So y'all have to come up and help us. Come here now. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but I am going to get you to help me with the Lord's Supper. You stand right there, and you stand right there. We take the Lord's Supper um, every week when we gather together. We eat bread and we drink wine or grape juice. The grape juice is yellow. And we do that because Jesus said when you gather together, I want you to eat and drink, and I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember that I came so that you could have peace with God and peace with each other. You don't have to live a life of conflict and turmoil. You can enjoy a life of peace even when All around you is not peaceful. I'll create peace in your life. What a gift. We eat and we drink to acknowledge we are thankful for the gift 
of Jesus dying for us so that we could be the beneficiaries of that peace. So I want you to come. If, if you are thankful for that gift, and eat and drink and give thanks and remember. And um, think about your home. Think about your family. It's Father's Day, big family day. Would your children, I'm sure they're bragging on your technology. I don't even know the right terms. Um, they got closets full of clothes. You got a kitchen full of food. You got TVs hanging on every wall but the closet. And maybe I know one man in here's got a TV in his closet. So I mean, yeah, uh, it's the dangest thing I ever saw in my life. Um, um, I don't worry about you lacking with the things that you need to create a feast. I do worry sometimes about all of us having homes where our loved ones would say, most days, 300 days, 325 days a year, my home's a place of peace. And I love it. I love it. I love it. You think about that. You come and you eat and drink. If you want to have someone pray for you this morning, there'll be people on my right and my left who would love to pray for you. Please avail yourself of that if that's your need.